It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 130 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav. Then the Jamal Hill right hand to my Johnny Walker Temple, Nick Bracha. How are you, my friend? Doing okay. I'm happy. I gained, you know, I gained a point. You did gain a point. It was a pretty good performance by both of us. I should have gained more, god damn it, but you got the judges were very favorable to you uh last week, so, you know, god bless you. I guess you need that handicapping. Um <laughs> but yeah, you know, a pretty entertaining card to be honest. And and although I was really down on this week's card, in my research, I started to get more excited about it. There's a couple of real fight fan fights on uh, on this one. Definitely, man. Definitely. So, yeah, the the Parker Porter uh, and uh, I would say, f- yeah, I guess the Buckley Al-Hassan matchup, those were uh, ones that went kind of slightly in my favor. And then the Belbita the Paula matchup is one that went, you know, slightly against me. So, you know, you, you, you win some and you lose some. And I feel like the majority of the MMA media – agreed with at least uh, at least a couple of these decisions it, oh yeah the only like, one the i mean i don't understand how everyone was so unanimous that porter won but uh, i mean then i missed something that's fine i do the M- mma decisions.com definitely had al hassan out ahead of uh buckley by a small margin um but i feel pretty confident that abdul uh, razak al hassan deserved that decision yeah, you, you don't feel like it was a robbery, I assume. But, I mean, they, they had Al-Hassan by one. It was basically seven to eight. So, again, it's a fight that could have easily gone either way that went one way. I'll take it, man. I, I will take whatever points I will get. You actually scored with a two-pointer because you got to pick the Jim Miller fight uh, first. We both agreed on that one as an underdog value pick, and that worked out. Although I will say once the fight left the first round, I thought the odds of it happening were slimmer. But Jim Miller's still dangerous in those first couple of minutes of the second round, especially against like a newcomer comer who's not really, really ready to compete at this UFC level. I think experience matters unless a guy is really, really, really past his prime and just a shadow of his former self. Experience makes a difference. Crazy. Jim Miller's picking up some old man power. Uh, he's got two, you know, he's floored guys in each of his last two fights. Um, so good. Yeah, good for him. You know, Nicholas Mata looked good in the first round. He looked fast, uh, but... He didn't know he he didn't know what hit him. <laughs> no man, it's it's it, with Jim Miller. He's always had that serious left hand as a southpaw, but that right hook man is what worked out for him in this matchup. And you got to give him credit for that. The guy is still adding elements to his game. I know it's just a right hook. Um, I realize it's just a lead hook, so it's not exactly rocket science. But this is not a punch that Jim Miller's previously used to really hurt guys, especially hurting a fellow striker. Uh, the reason I ended up edging toward Jim Miller is just because Moto's been finished in the first round, round and a half in his uh, other three or four losses. And so I figured Jim Miller, this is exactly what he does. He has a decent shot of pulling it off here against a newcomer to the UFC, despite the fact that he might show some promise. So Nick, uh, overall great card. Obviously, we buried the lead. Jamal Hill just starched Johnny Walker, as you and I both expected he would. Johnny Walker does not have a very good chin. He's not very skilled. He trains under John Kavanaugh at SBJ Ireland, which is... 
you know, I mean, I, I think calling it mediocre might be somewhat kind as a as a camp, as a gym. They've really only had one successful fighter in Conor McGregor, who actually like came up there and actually plied his trade there for the majority of the time. Uh, Jamal Hill looked really good, man. He got his left hand broken, Nick, which happens to be the arm that he normally got his knockouts with, that left, uh, left southpaw uh, cross. And ever since then, man, he picked up two knockouts with his right hand. The check right hook against Jimmy Crute in his last bout, starts him in the first round. And then Johnny Walker, it was uh, he switched to orthodox after realizing that Walker Walker's ready for that southpaw game, and he threw that overhand right as Walker threw his shot, landed it. They both kind of landed, you could say. They both landed, I think it was right hands, but man, was Jamal Hills more impactful. It landed on kind of the temple, the top of the head, and you rarely see this where Johnny Walker was seemingly about to keel over and fall forward. And then suddenly his spine just straightens and he plops backwards, his head slamming into the cage, man. It was violent. It was yeah. Really violent, scary KO. Walker looked fine afterwards. He was eating pizza in his hotel room, but damn, uh, Jamal Hill, like the 30 year old father of six. I got to say he is, he has a lot of composure. He does not, um, he's pretty unflappable in there and he's kind of, he's kind of, he's a bad man, but he's just, he's sort of unassuming. He waits and like, he threw that shot perfectly. Like Walker was, was leading, was leading with his head a little bit, created some of the momentum. And I mean, it was pretty, I guess it was a pretty flush. It was a pretty flush shot, hard part of the head to get hidden though. It wasn't like the side yeah. temple. It was right on the top. Right. Um, it's not where you but, often see a knockout. Yeah, but he just he switched him he switched him right off. Um, so he's he's got good power and good timing, and uh, and just confidence. He's got a lot he's got a lot of confidence when he throws, and um, he doesn't he doesn't load up. Uh, you, you know, impressive impressive guy. I still think, you know, Volkanos Demir called him out, and they're bantering a little bit because uh, Vols Demir says he, he's not. You know he's still doubting, or he's not necessarily impressed yet. And right. I think that's you know for a guy that has uh, lost his last two fights, I don't think that's a great look. Um, but Hill, I mean, look, we I, need I to see. He's, he's trying to stay relevant, which I don't blame him for. And I am curious about that matchup. I want to see Jamal Hill go up against somebody that's going to take him further than a round and a half, which is what we've been well, seeing in the last couple. Of we also we also need to see him against some really really. Uh, some really good uh grapplers like i want to you know i want to see him against guys that can wrestle i think him against anthony smith is you know a very exciting fight i'm into that nick i i will co-sign that any day is anthony smith currently uh matched up with anyone do you know uh let me check i the rankings here uh doesn't look like he is so anthony smith is open i think he's the right guy he's on a three fight winning streak yeah i like but i feel like i feel like you know, if Ozdemir is going to stay relevant, he needs kind of a, a bit of a get-right fight. You know, I'd probably give. I'd probably. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure who I give Ozdemir, but I. You have to consider like too this. that Ozdemir is losing um, to, like guys that are either about to get a title shot. He lost to Jerry Prochaska and Magomed Ankalaev, who's maybe one fight away from a title shot as long as everything stays give or take as it has been going. So Vulcan is kind of the gatekeeper to the top three, four. Um, it would be a decent opportunity for Jamal Hill, despite the fact that 
currently Alzheimer's ranked at number 12. But, I mean, you got to keep Paul Craig ranked above Jamal Hill, right? Uh, Paul Craig was also on a three-fight winning streak, also on a three-fight finish streak, including that win over Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill's fought twice since then. Paul, Paul Craig has not. So it, it is it is rather fascinating. I'm, I'm looking at this, by the way, uh, on these this ranking website, rankings MMA that you recommended, Nick. Paulo Costa is ranked at 205, which I think is absolutely hysterical. He's that, never competed. That would be a pretty. That would be a pretty amazing. I, I guess fight. he has actually. With, uh, um, with pa- yeah. Paulo Costa, Jamal, Jamal. I do um, have to say, if Paulo Costa's ranked here, shouldn't the guy that beat him at 205 be ranked too? Am I crazy? That's so odd. Uh, in any case, Nick, is. yeah. Look, uh, Jamal Hill's got swagger. He is one of my favorite prospects in this division, not because he's got the least holes. He can be taken down. Uh, We've seen that he can be submitted by a real wizard on the ground, but he's also shown a good get-up game. He's got impeccable swagger. He's got serious power in his hands. He's got pressure on his side. He's got the length, right? He's got so many of these attributes going his way. I'm excited about him. I don't know that he's going to be champion necessarily too soon, but without John Jones solidifying the very top of that division, I'd say uh, a merry-go-round is entirely possible. This is a guy that's like calling out Jerry Prochowska, right? So he certainly feels like he's ready for the very top of the division. Yeah, good entertaining fight builds, you know, builds his credibility and he's on on the verge of having a much needed star at light heavyweight. Very, very thin decision the division right now. Although again, I, I have to say uh, there's a lot of prospects in the division, right? We have Magomed on Kalayev. Uh, I don't know if you could still, uh, we have Alexander Rakic, we have Yuri Prochaska, we have all these guys who are legitimately on the cusp of being elite, they just need some opportunities against the elite in the division, Jamal Hill of course is one of them, so definitely a lot to look forward to, I, I still think Jimmy Crute, you know, might, could possibly pan out in the next few years, getting starts by this guy isn't necessarily a whole lot to be ashamed of, but there are a few prospects that I'm really excited about coming in at light heavyweight, probably a little bit less so than heavyweight, oddly enough, but yeah, man, a, a lot to look forward to there, and then we have in the co-main event, Kyle Dawkins submitted Jamie Pickett at literally a second left in that first round with the dark choke, that's one of his favorite submissions, and Jamie Pickett's not a very good fighter, he was a last minute replacement, I think you and I both yeah. expected this. Yeah, yeah, Pickett was getting a little bit for tapping out with a second left, but he came out and explained that um, his tongue had gotten stuck between his teeth, and he was at the point where he thought it was going to get, he thought he was going to bite off his tongue. Um, so that's why he chose to tap when he did, which I completely understand. Yeah, th- this, I assume that means maybe his mouth guard came out. It's it's weird, but I, I hope I hope he's yeah. We've okay. seen we've seen that we've seen that a couple times. Nate D- Nate Diaz did it to Jim Miller, um, years and years ago. So I don't exact I don't exactly know how you know how it happens, but it's definitely possible. Uh, Nick Kyle Dawkins ranked at number thirty-one on this website that you recommended below Nick Maximov, which I guess kind of makes sense. He's two and two in the UFC after all. What do you see next for this guy? Oh boy, let me maybe uh, a Chris Curtis me... matchup. Unless Chris Curtis is looking to go straight up, uh, if not Chris Curtis, I, I wouldn't mind an Ian Heinich matchup. If Heinich is not matched up, maybe Edmund Shabazian, someone that uh, that, that can kind of be a get-right potential fight for Shabazian. And uh, and and a, a move up for Dawkins. Um, could be. Uh, Brad Tavares is also interesting, and he's coming off of a win. Yeah, Brad Tavares is always that gatekeeper to the top, like ten or fifteen. Uh, I think that matchup holds a lot of weight and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, or the, uh, the winner, the winner of Chris Curtis, uh, Drickus Duplessis might be a little. Uh, pardon me. Uh, 
Yeah, it might be a little tough. The other thing you can do is just like when you think about what's Kyle Dawkins' weakness going to be, and it's kind of like pure, guy, you know, guys that can just like out muscle or out uh, or more athletic. Like putting him in against uh, Eric Anders is interesting because Dawkins kind of has it, they both have kind of one another's uh, kryptonite. Uh, so I'd watch. Yeah, why not? I'd, I'd watch that too. Uh, I think that makes sense given the ranking situation. Parker Porter over Ellen Badeau. Uh, you and I both agreed that this was a close competitive fight. Ellen Badeau seemed to have a pretty crisp jab. He was actually using it. He was staying disciplined. He didn't panic as soon as a fight went into any depth. And Parker Porter's pressure wasn't really enough to just completely dissuade him, although that third round was pretty decisive in Porter's favor. Uh, first two rounds were very competitive. Could could make the argument either way. I think the majority of the MMA media scored it for Porter. Uh, who's just like a likable guy. He's kind of a scrappy underdog and uh, comes in here as a favorite for the first time. I believe he was a favorite for the first time in a while. Uh, picked up the win. Workman-like, uh, you know, kind of as we expected. I don't expect much from Parker Porter. I like seeing his success. He's a guy that fought John Jones on John Jones come up many, many years ago. And he mentioned how three-fight winning streak is the best he's ever done. I think he's only got one other three-fight streak. So this is <laughs> as, as good as he'll ever get at three wins in a row in the UFC. I wouldn't be surprised if they match him up with somebody like Andre Arlovsky. He's got a little more veteranship to him than the average Ar- Arlovsky victims. Or I, I don't know. Yeah, I thought about that. Um, you know, Jake Collier would be or Collier would be another sure. another, another yeah. interesting fight. Um, the winner of Chris Barnett, Martin Buddy. That's interesting. Um, I'm yeah, there's fine a, with all of that. There's plenty of there's plenty of people to put Parker Porter in the cage with. I think our, I think fighting Arlovsky would be a bit of a thrill uh, for him though, and I'm like, why too. not? Yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, Jim Miller, what do you see next for him? Obviously, look pretty good here. He mentioned Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon. I think those are the exact kind of matchups that he should be in at this point. I mean, he does really well against kind of possible prospects who are debuting in the UFC. That's his like that is his ultimate success. Um, the veterans, I'm curious how he does against those guys. That should be interesting. I think a Cerrone, there's a chance that he just starches Cerrone, even though Cerrone's got a head kick knockout over him. Yeah, well, here's something weird. Has have Jim Miller and Clay Guida ever fought? I do believe they have. Let me let me quickly look at Jim Miller's record. It yeah, seems they like fought, they... uh, just 2019 actually. Miller guillotine him. Uh, I think he he clocked them uh, and guillotined them in the first round. So this is actually within the last few years that they competed. Yeah, then the, I think I think Lozon uh, Cerrone winner makes a lot of sense. I am there with you. And then we have Joaquin Buckley, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Again, not what we expected. Both guys have serious knockout power. Joaquin Buckley brought in his, uh, his uh, I don't know what the guy's name is, but that guy is supposed to be a, like a tactical self-defense guy who teaches what I consider to probably be voodoo to one extent or another. I'm sure it'll work against some people. But the reason he brought him in, as we find out now, maybe the same reason that Anderson Silva brought in uh, Steven Seagal, besides the fact that Steven Seagal probably paid him to bring him in, is promotion man. Like, Buckley decided that this guy is all over the internet. He's going to help promote my fight. And he admitted after the fight, he clearly didn't have him in there for tactics or for, for actual uh, advice. And it kind of worked because people were talking about him. We're talking about his fight. Uh, Buckley walks away with a split decision over Al Hassan, who looked really strong in that third round, which we haven't seen from him. He's a first round or bust kind of guy and to see him look pretty good in that third round i think he's going to keep his ufc job despite the recent lack of success and walking yeah, buckley he, moves upward and onward i mean buckley just fought the more composed fight um but i thought i thought 
Ahasan did more damage in the first round. It's just he misses so wildly because he's loading up and and throwing his whole body into his shots and throwing right. like one he just at a time. Help it, it seems if like, he could right. just yeah, if he could just set up his shots and put some combos together, um, he could be really dangerous. And then this, I thought he was really out of there in the second round, so I gave him the first on a like very small margin. And then in the second round, um, you know, there were periods of time where he was just eating shots up against the cage, covering up, and you I thought he was going to quit. I thought he was just completely out of gas, um, but he didn't. And then he caught, you know, he caught a second wind in the third, in the third round and started out wrestling Buckley who, who himself gassed during the second. So I think really what happened was all on gas after the first Buckley gassed after the second. Um, and, but it was still, it was still, it was a pretty, it was a pretty compelling fight. I was surprised that we didn't see a knockout. Um, but both of their chins held up, and frankly, like while Asan did land some heavy shots, um, he just he he missed a lot, you know. I don't, he didn't land as much as I thought he was going to land, and he didn't th- and he didn't throw enough kicks. No, and and that's a common issue for him. Although he is coming off of a head kick knockout, yeah. I mean, look, this is not the highest level of MMA. Uh, you know, neither of these guys are going to contend for anything close to a title anytime soon. I'm fine with whatever's next for them. Put them in in action fights. That's what they're there for. They're they're there to like. When you look at one of these cards, you're like, oh, well, at least that will probably end in a knockout. That's what these two guys are there for. And, and so I I'm into it. David Onama though is a legit prospect. Uh, looked a little bit of rough going against Gabriel Benitez, but it seems like as soon as Onama late in that first round decided to put his foot to the pedal, decided to throw that like 12 punch combo. Um, Gabriel Benitez, he just did not have the durability, man. He just went. And that's really the reason I think you and I have stopped picking Benitez. I used to pick him in a lot of these matchups, but his durability has been waning lately. And, and I, it's hard to be confident in him, even against the guy who was Owen one in the UFC and David Onama. Yeah. On- Onama, um, he definitely lost his composure for a moment when he got punched in the eye. He was covering his eye, which I don't know if he was looking for a, an eye poke stall or what but he fought through it ultimately um and landed that you know landed that great combo benitez a little bit of a of a glass cannon and uh you know curious to see what onama what onama does next i'm not sure uh who would you put who would you match him up with onama i mean somebody on the bottom end i think this kid needs to very slowly work his way up the rankings i'm gonna quickly look at this is featherweight correct nick 145 uh, yes. Is this like? Yeah, it, it is featherweight. I'm, I mean, we're looking at like bottom 30 of the UFC featherweight division. Um, I'm, I'm looking at guys like Lando Venata for him. Somebody like maybe Daniel Pineda, Julian Arosa would be exciting. Nate Landwehr, right? Like that's the level of opposition I think you want to see him against. To be quite honest with you, even lower than that, maybe somebody closer to to maybe Omar Morales, right? Josh Koulibau. Um, Chas Kelly's coming off of a, a, a win, but he's going to retire. But like somebody on that level, like he, he a savvy, a savvy guy like Bill Algio might be, might be an interesting fight. That would be fun as hell. Uh, and Bill Algio, you know, not exactly an undefeated prospect. So he's a guy that can afford a loss or to test this kid. So yeah, I'm, I'm there. I, I think that matchup makes a lot of sense. And outside of that, Nick, there were a few successful performances. Stephanie Egger overperforms against seven and two in the, in the, in the, in MMA, 2-0 in the UFC, submitted Jessica Rose Clark. She's got two finishes in the UFC, 2-0 in the promotion. And Jessica Rose Clark, like we forget, she's not really a very good fighter. She's just good at beating sub-UFC level fighters. And Stephanie Egger, between her judo, you don't want to clinch with her. I said that. I said, 
Jessica Rose Clark needs to be careful with her pressure. She need, her grappling needs to be uh, not engaging in the clinch, but a double leg takedown. And we've seen that work against Edgar in the past. Um, Stephanie Edgar is a talented uh, girl. Chas Skelly, man, a first round knock, uh, second round, excuse me, knockout over Mark Striegel. Very impressive in his retirement fight, 19 and three career. Pretty freaking awesome considering what he looks like. Gloria DePaulo took a close one over Diana uh, Belbita. Chad Annalinger, man, that was grinding. That, that was such a great fight against Jesse Strader, who looked a little better than I expected, but Annalinger just took over in that third round, knocked him out. Jonathan Pierce looked good against Rodriguez. Rodriguez looked phenomenal in the third round. I'm looking forward to seeing both of these guys. They're both serious prospects, in my opinion. And then Mario yeah, Batista took a win over Jay Perrin. It's a fun, it was, I mean, all in all, it was a pretty fun card. I agree. Not not a whole lot of complaints about this one. I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, again. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some how some of these prospects play out in the near future. Uh, Nick, shall we take a break and then come back and break down this Mahashev Green fight card? Yeah, man. Because I'm going to absolutely fuck you up in the points. I'm coming back. I'm coming for the title. I'm going to poke you in the eyes. I'm going to I'm going to do that thing that I even think Onama did, and we've seen, and we also saw it happen to Derek Lewis, where you're going in with the combos and you manage to smash your forehead against the chin. You get ready to actually shit. I'm not. I need a step ladder to hit you in the chin with my forehead. I just realized. Never mind. <laughs> wow, I did not expect all of that. You you basically just kind of went Ian Kutelaba in the weigh-ins at me. Like I'm expected to just have a peaceful weigh-in, you know, weigh-in and then face off with my opponent. And you're just like Aah! with a green, uh, kind of a green paint all over your body as you're flexing those muscles. Like that was extremely intimidating. But I am three points up, Nick, and there's good reason for that. I've been consistently oh, the better only, performance. What are you talking? That's bu- that's bullshit. You've only you've only won uh, one card this year. I believe I've won two cards. I believe no, we both. You won, won one won. card. We've each won two cards. You won the first event by a point. I won the second event by a point. That's what tied us. Then we had a draw or two, and now we're here. Settle I down, thought, fella. I don't S- settle down. D- don't do your fugazi math, Nikolai. We, we, we don't need uh, we don't need the Italian math over here. You know you what I'm fu- saying? Fu- yeah, I don't, I don't I don't I don't need your fuzzy math. Fuzzy map. <laughs> Let, let's take a break. Come back and break down UFC Makhachev versus Green. And we're back on the podcast to give you all the MMA Geeks draft. We each take turns picking fighters competing on the upcoming card, tally up the points at the end of the week, and see who wins at the end of the year. As of right now, I am three points up. You're basically getting one point for a correct pick, two points for an underdog pick of plus 150 or above that is successful, three points for an underdog pick of plus 250 or above if that works out for you nikolai took advantage of jim miller as an underdog last week good on you buddy i am currently at 21 of my points to 18 of yours i have a three-point lead pretty pretty competitive season thus far nikolai and then our overall uh pick records going into this um i I believe i'm 43 and 17 you're 37 and 23 so uh, again this is early this is all going to play itself out over the next months nick my first pick is going to be in the Islam Makhachev Bobby Green matchup. I'm I'm intrigued by this one to some extent, less so than if it was Benil Dariush. To be fair, Green has really built a brand and a following over the course of the pandemic, going into his seventh fight in about a year and a half. He's got excellent defense, particularly with his instinct-based kind of head movement, rolling with punches. The difference I think between back when he used to lose close decisions and now is that you can 
tell that he's that his opponents are missing. He's he's doing a better job of making it obvious that his opponents are whiffing when they're throwing offense at him, whereas he used to just barely slip, and you couldn't really tell whether something landed on him or not. Also, his output has come up through the roof, right? His boxing is among the best at 155, straight punches, uppercuts. He's consistent with them, splits your guard. He may have lost to Tiago Moises, but it was a close decision, and he landed twice as many strikes and as many takedowns as Moises did in that matchup. So argument could be made in his favor easily. He may have lost a competitive decision to Rafael Faziev, but Faziev is considered a top contender, and Green dominated the third round after a competitive first 10 minutes. Now he takes the fight on short notice against the boogeyman of the division. Makachev is really good everywhere. He's a technical striker, knows how to stay safe and score offense. He's a phenomenal wrestler, landing more than three takedowns per 15 minutes average. He's an elite submission grappler, uh, submitted his last three top 15 opponents. Two of them had not been submitted in at least 10 years. Green has really good takedown defense, fantastic get-up game. He hasn't been submitted since he was 22 years old, 13 years ago, against actually Joe Lazan's younger brother, Dan Lazan, but he hasn't shown the power that can knock Makhachev out. Green defending takedowns against Alan Patrick is one thing, but Mahachev is on another level when it comes to that, right? Green getting back up against Tiago Moises is pretty good, but Mahachev dominated Moises on the ground. I don't think he's going to have that easy of a time getting back to his feet. I think Mahachev continues his role, much like Khabib. He'll likely end up getting a title shot without ever beating a top five opponent, which I freaking hate, but uh, you know he is accepting the matchups they're giving him, and he's asking for bigger matchups, right? Judging by his recent performances against the top 15, um, he very much looks like he's at least on level with the likes of Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira. I think Makachev dominate, dominates at least the first three rounds. And if he doesn't submit Green, then I'm curious to see how the last two rounds go because we haven't seen Makachev uh, in a five-rounder yet. We haven't seen him taking it to deep water. So, so I'm curious if he can stay as consistent as he is. I think he's something special. He might not be as durable as could be, but might not be quite as mentally strong, Nick, but he's a more technical striker. He is a better submission artist, even though his ground and pound is not anywhere close to Khabib. So he, he's arguably more dynamic, man. He, he's arguably a better finisher. Khabib just started finishing people very recently uh, toward the very back end of his career. So I'm looking forward to this one, but it's unfortunate that it isn't Benil Dariush facing off with Makachev here. Yeah, Makachev is kind of the, to turn into kind of like the the lightweight Leon Edwards in that he can't get the fights. To, to, he he's really hasn't gotten a lot of the star-making opportunities. And this could have been one, and who knows what would have happened, but it would have been really, really interesting. Um, and now he's getting a fight he's supposed to win against uh, a fun, exciting, dynamic striker who just doesn't have the power. We've seen Makachev get KO'd once, um, and it's not, it doesn't really seem, it's not impossible, but it doesn't seem like much of a risk here. So I think he'll be able to wade through the shots and uh, in command where this fight takes place, uh, which is also where he's got the uh, distinct advantage. So I agree with you. That's going to be my first pick. Um, my second pick, I don't have a lot to say about, but I'm going to go with the biggest favorite on the card. Now that his ear has been reattached, uh, I'm going to go with Raheem Brahimovic uh, over over uh, Michael Gilmore. I just think that – I don't think Gilmore is really a UFC-level fighter, and Brahimovic has proven that he at least can win a bit and go go full three rounds with someone like uh, like Court McGee. I think – you know, I don't I – don't, and he's a Fortis fighter – um, I don't think, you know, we're talking about a star here, but we're talking about a, a low level, a low level UFC guy against a dude who's probably not going to be here very long. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. It's funny. You said Gilmore's not a UFC-level fighter. I literally have that word for word in my notes. Um, yeah, Brahim Hodges is kind of an entry-level UFC fighter, in my opinion. Um, this is the kind of win he should be able to pick up, probably a first-round submission here based on Gilmore's prior performances. Uh, I, I totally unless his, unless his, ear fa- his, his ear falls off again. Even if it does, man. like I see no reason why he shouldn't do pretty well against Michael Gilmore. Call me crazy. Mm. Uh, my next pick is going to be... I think I'm going to take uh, from the Alejandro Perez-Jonathan Martinez matchup. I know there's some uh, risk here, but I, I do think a lot of the rest of these matchups are fairly close on paper. There Martinez are some really is, close ones. Yeah. Mar- Martinez is taller and more polished standing. Perez is gritty and experienced, but he has been getting hurt in his last several fights. He's getting up there in age. I think Martinez's takedown defense and striking advantage shines here for a big win. So you're picking Martinez, who himself got knocked out one fight ago. Um, That's I was right. Also by, gonna, uh, David I was also... Yes, I was also going to pick him, but this is a, it was a tough one. Um, yeah, I hear that. I'm going to go next with uh, my, uh, you know, one of my UFC crushes. Um, I think, although she's like a decade older, I'm going to go with Jin Yu Frey to defeat Hannah Goldie. I think the key here, uh, there's two keys. I think the phrase is more technical and more experienced than well, this that would be three keys than than Hannah Goldie. Also, she's also has like a four inch like reach advantage. And Ginny Frey can do uh, can do all right um, going you know, like striking from the outside, um, unless she's like up against a really good um, puncher, and that's not that's not uh, Hannah Goldie. Hannah Goldie's not known for like her amazing footwork and and combos. So I think I think Frey should be able to um, win a veteran's uh, win a veteran's decision here. There's some chance that Goldie gets on top of her and Frey gets stuck, but I think. If that happened, I, I, if that happens in one round, I don't think it'll happen in two. Uh, so I'm going to go with Ginny Frey. Yeah, I'm there with you. I think Frey has the skill advantage here overall, but her inactivity is what's cost her in the past. Goldie is green and doesn't have the fight IQ. Uh, uh, she's athletic, but that's about it. So I think as long as Frey actually like puts the effort in like she did in her last fight and actually realizes she just needs to use her skills, she's going to win this fight. It's, it's hers to lose uh, entirely dependent on her mindset going into this one. On the same page with you there. My next pick is going to be. This is where it gets tough, Nick. I. It's all tough, man. It's all tough from here. It, it really is, which is great on paper, right? Like we're probably going to get a few picks wrong on this one. Last couple of events, I've had very few wrong picks. This this event is looking a lot tougher, Nick. This is the best fight of the weekend for me. The Armand Saryukian versus Joel yes. Alvarez matchup. So excited for this. I went back uh, th- and forth on who's going to win this many times. 100%. Same here, man. Both guys made their USC debuts in their 20s. Uh, Saryukian in his early 20s. Alvarez in his kind of maybe 24, 25, right? Lost competitive decisions to high-level opponents. Both have undefeated uh, have been undefeated since then. Alvarez is possibly the most dynamic fighter in the UFC right now. He is deadly on the feet with power in his knees, his kicks, his hands, high output, pressure, um, 16 submissions, right? So he's brilliant at catching opportunistic moments on the ground, especially off of his back. He has serious ground and pound if he gets into top position, right? Like he's deadly from there. His wrestling is very not very good though. But since he's so dangerous off his back, it hasn't been much of an issue. It's almost like a like another level of a Diaz brother from back in like the the early two thousands. He's um, he's also the biggest man that keeps booking lightweight fights. He's six three well, with a seventy seven inch reach. Yeah, and he had, when was the last time he made weight? 
Well, that well, that was my next point. Uh, I said he's booking lightweight fights. I didn't oh, say yeah, he's yeah. a lightweight. Right? <laughs> uh, he, he hasn't made weight in his last two fights. Like I'm, I'm somewhat surprised the UFC's given him an, another shot here. I think the UFC likes him. He's probably a nice guy and probably apologetic. Um, and he's facing a high-level wrestler and a solid grappler here. Arman made his UFC debut in a competitive decision loss to Islam Makhachev, in which he took the Islam down. He's gone four zero since then. If Alvarez makes weight. Then I'm probably edging Terry. You can especially like, I would imagine he'd really have to deplete himself. He's so large for the weight class and so much bigger than the last time he made 155 a couple years ago that he would have to seriously, I think, deplete himself uh, to get there this weekend. I think as long as Armand is very careful to avoid landing in guard, he should be okay from top position. And he is pretty decent at avoiding guard, but he sometimes puts his head right into a guillotine uh, when he goes for a takedown. I could see Joel Alvarez catching a, a guillotine. I could see him using the guillotine to set up a triangle, which we've seen him do in the past. Alvarez can hurt him on the feet and can possibly catch something on the way down to the ground. So Armand needs to be basically almost perfect defensively to win this fight. I think given the value, I'm going to take Alvarez. It's it's a two pointer. It could be a three pointer. Honestly, if if we the uh, recorded this episode a few days ago, I think it was somewhere around plus two fifty. Um, one sportsbook has him pretty close to that. I, I'm going to pick Alvarez. I, I think he's got 15 minutes to finish. Um, if it wasn't for the underdog value, I probably probably would have edged ever so slightly toward Taryukam because we've seen Alvarez, uh, if only for a round or so, stay on his back. He doesn't have a get up game at all. He doesn't really try to get up. He goes for sweeps. He goes for submissions. I could see Sir Yukon kind of feasting on that and, and holding him down after getting into that grappling mode. But I, I just feel like Alvarez is too dangerous to be this much of an underdog. I, I think uh, looking into Alvarez, and I can't find the odds on this yet. I'm sure as the week progresses, there will be opportunities. But Alvarez, uh, inside the distance, I, I think you're probably going to get like plus 250 uh, odds there. That's definitely worth putting down. And then Sir Yukon, by decision, you'll probably get better odds there. So you can kind of hedge yourself and make it a win-win situation. But I've got Joel Alvarez because of the point value, Nick. Um, yeah, I'm going to go, it's a tough one, I'm, but I'm going to pick Saryukin, um, because I think he'll be able to survive and he's just so, he's just so fucking tough. Uh, so, well, and I think he'll end up, I just think he'll end up controlling more of the fight, but if he gets blasted out in the first round, I won't be surprised either. Um, yeah, man. so man, it's so difficult, difficult from here. Um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the youngster Ignacio Bahamandes um the Chilean uh 24-year-old uh the baby the baby-faced kid who had that exciting split decision against John McDessie and then a, a thrilling um end of the end of the fight finish against Roosevelt Roberts I'm going to pick him uh as the up and comer to dethrone the even younger Man, 24-year-old against a 21-year-old. A 21-year-old Chinese fighter, uh, Zhu Rong. Um, I think this is going to be a super exciting, fast, uh, fast-paced fight where a lot of uh, a lot of strikes are going to be thrown. Um, but I think that I think Bamandes has has more uh, has more experience and probably uh, the better upside. And I'm also thinking comes from a, a better camp. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think Ronju is a pretty good kickboxer, but <clears throat> Bahamandez has shown some high-level skills, some maturity, some craft, very kind of kicking-based game, very high output. Um, and, you know, losing a split decision to John McDessie in your UFC debut is nothing to be ashamed of, man. It was a back-and-forth fight. I think Ignacio makes it 2-1 and one in the UFC, so I agree. 
My next pick is going to be in the Josiel Nunez versus uh, Ramana Pascal Pasquale matchup. I'm taking Nunez in this one since she has serious power in her hands, which is pretty rare in this division. And she has like UFC experience, if only one fight, right? A freaking devastating knockout. And her opponent, by the way, has not been back since and is having serious concussion issues. And Bay Malecki, um, you know, has not competed since and, and is, maybe is retired from MMA. That's how badly she knocked her out. Uh, Pascal has shown potential, but she hasn't faced anyone with a better record than four and five in her career. Two and zero oh or four and five. I don't know which you consider to be better, but uh, she was also finished in her in her two losses. So I like uh, I like Josiane Nunez to score a knockout here. I had the same the same pick. I'm going to go to the co-main event. God, this one sucks to pick. Um, <laughs> I'm going to. Oof. I'm going to go with your man, the Brazilian Wellington Terman, to defeat the newly middleweight uh, Misha Serkinov. I think that um, I think Terman is the better striker. Um, I think he's going. I'm pretty sure he's going to have the reach advantage. Uh, let me just check that real quick. No, he's not going to have the reach advantage. How's that possible? Anyway, yes, Serkinov um, is a is a couple inches taller, I think, and he's also coming down from 205 over the last couple of years. So yeah, he's a pretty big guy. Um, but Serkinov tends to be slow. He's going to be depleted. It doesn't seem like he has much power. I think Terman's got better, uh, got better kickboxing. Also, he's a, if I recall, he's a pretty savvy um, jiu-jitsu player. And Serkinov's usual path to victory is submissions. I think Terman should be able to avoid those. Terman's um, Achilles heel is his. Yeah, it's actually an Achilles chin. Uh, he can't take punishment, <laughs> but Serkinov. Usually, he seems to use his striking to kind of uh, close the distance. He's not very, he's not very effective. Um, so I think, I don't think this fight's going to be much fun to watch. Um, I don't think there will be a finish, but I think that uh, I think Wellington Terman will win what what looks like a frustrating kickboxing sparring match, where he's able to keep Misha Serkinov uh, off of him and do just do enough score enough points with his strikes to win decision. Nick, look at you picking my man, Wellington Terman. I knew you'd come around sooner or later. I knew he would become your guy as well. I knew you would see the potential that I saw in him. He's in not my, he's not my, he's, he's still, I don't think that's what's happening. <laughs> <but> God. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So Wait, were you, were you going to pick him here? Uh, well, it's a coin flip fight here between two grappling face fighters who have unreliable chins. You alluded to this, right? I think Serkinov is the more dynamic grappler, but Terman's confidence has probably been damaged less. Neither guy has real power in their strikes, but Serkinov is bigger. He's faster. He's likely a better grappler. You mentioned that Serkinov is slow. He's not that slow. He's been using his jab a lot more. He moved to Vegas, uh, trains you know at Extreme Couture, which I like. He moved from Canada, whereas Terman has to travel from Brazil. His camp isn't really that proven. Um, so I'm, I'm picking Serkinov for those reasons. Oh, I also think it, it helps that Serkinov trains locally. It it could easily go either way. Again, it's a literal coin flip of a fight. I, I'm just edging. Uh, I ended up I, edging Serkinov ever so slightly. I pick your man. Oh God, who knows? Maybe I'll change my <laughs> maybe I'll change my mind on this one before game time. Um, Nick, it it won't be the first time that my uh, that my breakdowns have changed your mind. And oh I yeah, yeah, because I yeah I was I picked I was going to pick um, O'Neal and I picked, ended up picking Roxy and losing. So thanks for that. What's your next pick? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right, Nick. You're, Nick, you're I tricked wit. you. I I took your first pick away. Is what I did with that one. That was some crafty shit. You got to admit that was a couple of events ago. Um, fuck yourself. So 
<laughs> hey, it was a, it was a split decision against Roxy. Like one more judge could have been friends with her or something. It it could have been possible. Yeah, if you say um, so. So th- th- we're we're still like in rough territory. It's hard to be confident. I think in most of these uh, most of these matchups. Let me see here quickly at my trusty list here. Um, really, it's tough to be confident in any of these. I think I'm gonna take. Jeez. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not confident in a single one of these bouts. I think I'm gonna go ahead and take uh the fight from the Armand Petrosian Gregory Rodriguez matchup. This is another one, Nick, that is guaranteed fireworks. Like there is no situation yep. in which this will not be fun to watch unless Gregory just like holds him down and refuses to strike with him and and Petrosian's defense is somehow good enough to survive there. Rodriguez is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with deadly power in his hands, trains out of uh Sanford MMA. Looks like a bit robotic and his nickname is Robocop like his deep like his head doesn't really move much defensively but he is powerful um doesn't necessarily have the best chin but he's doing a better job of recovering recently uh Petrosian has made a career out of getting out wrestled before finding an explosive bomb to lead to a knockout win he is the brother of one of the greatest kickboxers alive George, uh, Georgie Petrosian so he's got only, I think, a 7-1 record, but man, does he have a wealth of experience in the kickboxing world. As much as Gregory should have the experience and skill to win this fight on the ground, I'm taking a rider on Armand, who's incredibly dynamic. He's an opportunistic uh, finisher on the feet. At plus 150, give me Armand Petrosian uh, for the value, if nothing else. I don't think it's the same Armand Petrosian as Georgie Petrosian's brother. Really? Uh-oh. Yeah. That could be a, think, well. To 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 be fair, it's not the reason I'm picking him. But are you are you sure? Because I think I Wikipedia'd him. Armored Petrosian. Let's see if the picture is matching. I believe he's the one, man. I think there's only one, as far as I can tell. Born in 1986. His topology birthday. Let's see. No, 1990. Maybe you're right, Nick. Maybe it's not the same guy. Still, really explosive monster. Yeah. Human being. Good. Uh, um, good. Re- good research there, Captain Facts. Anyway, you know what, Nick? Um, I hope I end up being right, and, and then I can shame you, shame you for it, Nick. So, um, uh, who'd you pick on that one? I was too busy being right; I didn't hear you. Uh, I picked the underdog Petrosian because I think you yeah, go either way. I, I if actually, you give me plus one fifty odds, I have to take him. Uh, wait, so you're getting uh, you're getting the um, the extra points on this? If if he wins, yes. Which again, I'm not ultra confident, but it's worth the rider gonna make it exciting i actually think you have a good chance of winning this event um but i don't know you're taking some some risks yeah i'm i'm making me nervous um i'm gonna go against the green uh with my next pick listen everyone uh, what are your thoughts on that matchup by the way who who oh i also i also i also actually had petrosian i was gonna pick petrosian even though he's not georgie's brother yes (laughs) even though knowing he's not he's, he's not his brother um so you know, listen, we we saw um, Terrence McKinney come in and starch Matt Frivola. He's, in his last three fights over the course of the last year, in the last year he's finished three fights and he's been in the cage approximately a minute and 40 seconds. Uh, if you extend that out, um, actually you can extend that out to five fights uh, in the last year and it's less still less than two minutes. And he's got those, fin- and he's got finishes that are that fast. Uh, bring it back a little bit, and he got choked out in under a minute by Derek Minner, uh, and then also lost earlier than that uh, to Sean Woodson. In a um, fight that he was dominating, to be fair, against Woodson, he just got uh, caught out of nowhere. Yeah, McKinney is like 
<clears throat> he seems pretty darn legit. But we're talking about Fred I am here, who went three hard rounds in a terrific fight against Jamie Malarkey, who's yeah. no joke. Like we're gonna this is we're gonna find out exactly how real and dangerous Terrence McKinney is. Because um, I don't want to say he's a can crusher necessarily, because that's not how I would describe someone like Matt Favola. But you're you're just talking about a resilient guy who has a win over a like really tough competition, um, who had to eat some big shots against you know against Malarkey. But is does Terrence McKinney really have face melting power that can that gets sustained uh, throughout the fights? I see Zion being savvy enough to get this get this fight uh going longer to make it a, a little bit messy um and to just try to drag mckinney into into the the later rounds um i'm gonna go it's a rubber meets the road fight and i'm gonna go with zion uh to stop the terrence mckinney uh hype train and create a little bit of a setback uh for the youngster with superb power Nick, I have to agree with you here. Um, I, I'm surprised. I, I mean, you you hit on you hit on just about every point. McKinney is talented early, but the fact that Wait, you were um, happy you were happy with my you were happy with my analysis. Oh yeah, it was, it was really solid. You hit on almost yeah. every point that I mentioned. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. Here's the thing, McKinney, right? He he's gotten those four knockouts in under two minutes total. How much cage time is he getting? How much experience is he getting? Yeah, his stand-up is a little more crisp, but how many layers does he have to his stand-up game now that he's focused more on his boxing, which, to his credit, has been seemingly making a difference. He's super athletic, super strong. He can wrestle guys when he needs to. Trained uh, in Spokane, Washington, with the likes of Juliana Pena and uh, what's that gentleman's name? Tall, 170-pounder. used to fight at 155. James Krauts. No, he's doing a lot of UFC announcer gigs. He's got that beard. Mike M- Mike Chiesa. Is that it? Oh, Mike yeah, Chiesa. Mike Chiesa, yeah. And, uh, and I, I just, as athletic as he is, as much as he's got skill, I've got to edge towards Ziam, who's he's younger. He's got more UFC experience at this point, right? Like actual couple decisions that he went to. Three decisions against really good competition, and he was 2-1, and one, and that's really fucking impressive, man. Um, I, I'm going to fare with Ziam as well. I, I think Terrence McKinney can probably get takedowns early, but over the course of the fight, I think Ziam starts to take over. Uh, Terrence McKinney's cardio, if it's as good as his knockout power, then he might be something really special, but Ziam is a tough, gritty dude who will not give up. Uh, he'll keep getting up. He'll keep getting taken down. He'll keep working his way back up to his feet. He's also a really young kid who improves tremendously every time we see him, so I'm there with you on, on Ziam. I think it's a pretty good pick at this point in our draft competition. My next pick, Nick, is going is this the last? To is this the last pick? Let me see. It lo- no, it looks like we have no. Yeah, that is that is the final. No, we have two more picks, Nikolai. Oh. We we basically have uh, one pick left uh, uh, per person. Both are really tough. Um, I'm I'm gonna pick from the. I'm gonna regret this. I'm gonna pick from the Victor Alma. Alta Mirano versus Carlos Hernandez matchup. Hernandez doesn't have great wrestling, but it should be good enough to take uh, Alta Mirano down. Alta Mirano has a decent counter game, and Hernandez is hittable on the way in. But I think Hernandez can get through, uh, get enough ground control to get the nod by decision. Uh, these are kind of two UFC newcomers. Not a whole lot of stakes here. Uh, again, well, who's your who's your pick? I was setting up my next pick. My my pick is Victor Alta Mirano. Uh, I'm sorry, Carlos Hernandez. To beat Victor Altamirano. All right, I um, 
Sure. I also have Hernandez in that. Let's <laughs> say. Um, wait. So this is this is the last pick. Yes. Okay. You got the uh, G Young Kim, Kim Priscilla Priscilla Kim. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Um, I like uh, I like Ji Young Kim. I thought that she, her fight against Molly McCann was really fun. Um, she's she's lost to three fairly high level UFC fighters. I mean, you know, striking with Shevchenko, I guess, is going to get you in trouble. The younger Shevchenko, or the the older Shevchenko, um, Alexa Grasso, you know, distance Molly McCann, distance. I think um, Patricia's fights or Priscilla's fights have uh, her her wins are her wins are pretty weak wins, um, and other people have gotten have gotten her out of there. Uh, so I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Korean fighter, uh, Kim, to win it. Win a decision here that might not be might not be too boring. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think that uh, both are on the bottom end of the flyweight division. Both are strikers who have lost to some solid competition. Priscilla hits harder, but Kim is faster. She's more technical, has better cardio. She also has a good chin and some grit to her as well. There's a chance Kachwara lights her up since she has switch to Jessica Andrade's camp like presumably there's a lot more technical development there uh, a lot more focus on uh, conditioning but I'll go with the more technical fighter and Ki Young Kim G uh, Young Kim excuse me to to pick up a, a what probably is going to be a, a competitive close decision um, there with you Nikolai I think we've agreed on the majority of these we've been disagreeing on more um lately than, than these couple of bouts. I think we ended up disagreeing on just two fights, and that's the Saryuka and Alvarez matchup. And which one was it? Oh, the uh, the, the co-main event um, we disagreed on between. Yeah. Wasn't that a co-main event? Mr. Sirkinov and Wellington Tournament. That's right. You picked my boy. Uh, Nick, I, I actually think there's a very good chance that you end up taking this event maybe tying it up like we we could very well be uh tied up go, uh, going into the pay-per-view the week after next then we've got ufc 272 covington versus masvidal uh before we jump to that nick i, I quickly want to uh run down our picks uh i took islam makachev i took jonathan martinez i had uh josian nunez i also took jo- joel alvarez to beat Saryukian and Armen Pedrosian, as well as uh, Josian oh, Nunes, as I, I mentioned. You took Faraz Ziam. Um, I also had Carlos Hernandez, excuse me. You took Ziam. You took Ji uh, Young uh, Kim. You picked Wellington Turman to beat Serkinov. You had Ter- uh, Faraz Zom to beat Terrence McKinney. Jin Yu Frey, you chose Ignacio Brahimaj and uh, uh, Ignacio Bahamondes and Ramiz Brahimaj were your picks, Nikolai. We got the pay-per-view the following week. I'm looking forward to it, brother. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. And I think uh, I'm tooth and nail, man. I'm coming for you. Yeah, this really is close competitive. Uh, I'm excited about the season so far. Uh, and I really do think that